Hello, everybody. I'm Peter Giuliano, SCA's Chief Research Officer, and you're listening to an episode of the RICO Podcast, a series of the SCA Podcast. The RICO Podcast is dedicated to new thinking, discussion, and leadership in specialty coffee, featuring talks, discussions, and interviews from RICO Symposium, the SCA's premier event dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who are driving specialty coffee forward. Check out the show notes for links to our YouTube channel, where you can find videos of these talks. This episode of the RICO Podcast is supported by Toddy. For over 50 years, Toddy brand cold brew systems have delighted baristas, food critics, and regular folks alike. By extracting all the natural and delicious flavors of coffee and tea, Toddy cold brew systems turn your favorite coffee beans and tea leaves into fresh cold brewed concentrates that are ready to serve and enjoy. Learn more about Toddy at toddycafe.com. Toddy, cold brewed, simply better. Rico Symposium and the Specialty Coffee Expo are coming to Portland in April 2020. Don't miss the forthcoming early bird ticket release. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements. Today, we're very happy to present the first episode of Cost of Production and Profitability for Coffee Producers, a session recorded at the RICO Symposium this past April. Buyers and producers alike need to understand what it takes to produce specialty coffee so that it can be produced sustainably. So we convened experts to ask, do we really know what specialty coffee costs? SCA lead scholar Taya Brown worked with several communities of smallholder coffee farmers in Yepocapa, Guatemala, to better understand the obstacles they face in the uptake of new technologies. Profitability was found to be the main constraint, affecting nearly all aspects of production, sale, and innovation. Addressing low profitability, however, isn't as straightforward as one might think. To gain true autonomy, farmers need more than just higher prices. They need to better understand how their own field, harvest, and post-harvest management affects their coffee's quality, value, and potential to reach higher-paying markets. Also, to help you follow along in this podcast, I'll chime in occasionally to help you visualize what you can't see. Good morning. So, um, as was mentioned in the introduction, I've been working um, with some communities of smallholder coffee farmers. This has been for the better part of the last three years in a region of Guatemala called Yepocapa. If you're familiar with Antigua in Guatemala, imagine going from Antigua around to the other side of the Fuego volcano, and you'll be in Yepocapa. So we've been studying the obstacles to uptake of technology within these smallholder coffee farming communities. And unsurprisingly, what we found is that profitability is the main constraint that these farmers face. And this is across the board. Um, And that affects their ability to innovate, sure, but it also affects their ability to do pretty basic things, like fertilize. Um, Farmers are having to make decisions about the amount of fertilizer that they're using, about how often they fertilize, how many times a year they fertilize, and are they able to make these decisions and do this as often and as much as they need to in order to have healthy plants. Um, We do see that farmers are becoming disenchanted with this situation as prices continue to um, remain low and have been low now for a couple years in this region. And we do see that farmers are beginning to leave coffee. 
So these Yepakapa farmers are finding other crops or sending a family member outside of the region to the city or to another country to bring in an income um, to help sustain the family. And I was asked to come here today and talk to you about this issue of profitability from the perspective of the smallholder farmer. And I was thinking about that and what I could bring to this discussion that might be useful. And I was thinking about how we're the specialty coffee industry. This is the Specialty Coffee Association event. Um, and so we can pay higher prices, right? I'm sure that many of you that are in the audience today pay really reasonable prices for some of the coffee that you buy. The issue is that the quality has to be there. So the quality has to be there for the coffee to have the value for us to be able to pay the prices that might make coffee a little more profitable for the producer. We have a real interest in supporting the smallholder farmer as they produce a substantial amount of the world's coffee supply. So they are having a large effect on our industry. But in reverse, our industry, especially specialty coffee, can have a large effect on them. On screen, a slide states, smallholder farmers produce 80% of the world's coffee. Um, so many of these farmers coffee producers, are dealing with all kinds of issues. And to showcase this and bring this home, we superimposed what we consider the global coffee belt, where coffee is produced over three other global belts. Taya has three maps of the world, flattened out and side by side. There are two horizontal lines running across the three maps. The southern line runs through Bolivia and Madagascar, while the northern line intersects Mexico and northern India. Everything in between these two lines is the coffee belt. Taya's map also reveals that the coffee belt intersects many countries facing major conflicts, hunger and malaria. So this is the conflict belt where uh, civil war has been more recent within, in many cases, within the last 30 years. So if you think about that, and the average coffee farmer is 55 years old, that means that the average coffee farmer has lived through civil war in their lifetime. Uh, these other two maps are the world hunger map. That's showing where starvation and malnutrition are concentrated around the globe. There's the malaria belt, uh, where um, communicable disease is more prevalent in the world. So this is evidence. This is showing you how coffee producers are living and the lack of resources that are available in these areas. Um, one of the things that happens when you grow up in with a lack of resources, is you have a lack of confidence. Um, you're not quite sure what your options are, you have limited options, and if you want to do something more with yourself, you're not quite sure how to do that. And this is something that I actually have personal experience with. Um, so I'll explain to you why I personally identify with a smallholder coffee farmer. I was raised in a single-parent, low-income household in South Seattle. My mother was um, pretty preoccupied as I was growing up, so I was left to figure things out kind of on my own and without 
a lot of resources. And I was watching my friends, or my friends were just like me, um, you know, from broken homes, sometimes having um, drugs in, in the family background, low history of, of formal education in the family, low resources, um, all of us just trying to figure out what to do with ourselves, um, you know, in the situation that we found ourselves. And in my own experience, and in watching the experience of the people that I spent the most of my time with and, and have cared about, I've been really um, curious and paying attention to what is it that causes somebody or what is it that allows somebody to um, bring themselves up when they are in a situation where they have low resources. So you can either have a resources or you don't. And what do you do in the case that you don't? So what I have realized or what I've come to in my paying attention to this over the years is that these are the three factors that are involved when resources aren't. There's motivation, there's support, and there's education. So motivation um, we'll define as a drive to do something more. This is an ambition that comes from within oneself um, and understanding that there is something greater than us um, and wanting to connect to that bigger, greater thing. Support. Support I will define as an effort made by somebody else in your direction that helps you do something that you were unable to do otherwise because you either lack the resources, lack the confidence, or lack the know-how. And so this is something that somebody else can give to you when you don't have those things. And I've received a lot of support over my life. I think people were able to see that I had a lot of motivation um, as a kid, that I was interested in science and art and, and these bigger things, and that I wasn't gonna get the resources that I needed to do something with that, with this research, with what was available within my own context. So people jumped in and, and gave me support. And in some cases, this was grants or fellowships, monetary support that have helped me get through school. In some cases, this was just um, somebody lending me their ear to listen or a space. I remember in high school, I had a, a, an art teacher that let me hang out in his room uh, in my free periods, and I was able to just do arts and, and talk to him about things and, and just sort of be me and have some self-expression in, in the art that I was doing. And I didn't have a lot of spaces like that at that time in my life, so that was a huge support to me. And the other factor is education. Education is indestructible capacity. You cannot destruct this capacity. This is um, knowledge about things that help us to make uh, more profound and longer ranging and, and better decisions. Um, and this is really the key to making us different. If we want to live in a different kind of a context, we have to be able to fit that context. And in reverse, as we change ourselves, the context around us changes also. And education really is the key to that, to becoming different, to changing fundamentally who we are, and to see that ripple effect in the world around us. And I don't think that myself or my friends that I grew up with are really any different from smallholder farmers around the world who are growing up without a lot of resources but who want to achieve something more with themselves. I would like to introduce you to one of the regions or one of the communities that I work with. 
These, this is Ica Montiano. They are located in a town called Hermogenes Montiano, which is right outside of Yapocapa. This is um, a, a, a cooperative or an organization of smallholder farmers that are 187 of them, 187 members. They're about 32 years old. They farm coffee on what used to be a large finca before the war and was uh, reappropriated to smallholder farmers. These people come from four different parts of Guatemala to be here. So after the war, they, they traveled to this area to set up camp and, and start coffee farming. And there's a small group of this membership that is realizing that if they change a little bit of what they're doing, they can have a product that the specialty market might be interested in. And um, so they're forming this group and they're trying to figure out what they need to do in order to have a coffee that might be worth, um, you know, might have more value. And so this past year, they started selecting out um, some coffee that they picked really well. So they thought, you know, what's, what's the easiest thing for us to do? We can just try to pick our coffee the best as possible and we'll have only mature beans and that'll be specialty coffee. And um, what they're starting to realize in this process is that there's a lot for them to learn. So it's picking is a great place to start, but there will be a lot more for them to learn. So I'm gonna let them introduce themselves to you. Taya is playing a video featuring Eka Montellano. Because they only speak Spanish and their videos have English subtitles, I'll translate some of what they're saying. Buenos días, mi nombre es Francisco Calel, presidente de la vigilancia. Francisco Calel is the president of vigilance at Eka Montellano. Con todo gusto, un saludo para todas ustedes. Buenos días, eh, mi nombre es Teresa Orozco. Teresa Orozco is part of the finance committee and says the organization is made up of both women and men. Manuel Tuzorin is a member of the community. Horacio Matzir is secretary of ECA Montellano and is happy that he has an opportunity to speak with you. Teresa says they are in a fight to find a better market. Francisco says that they have to fight to improve their coffee and are looking to produce more specialty coffee so that they can earn more income. Teresa says that they are changing now how they harvest in order to improve their specialty coffees. Entonces, a raíz de eso, nosotros uh, hoy en día estamos trabajando de otras formas. Que Horacio says the organization is trying other ways to be self-sustaining to cover their expenses. Ser autosostenibles con nuestros gastos, con todo lo que, que lleva el proceso del café. Manuel says they are very interested in finding an export market for their coffees. Everybody is very worried right now because prices are very low. ¿Cómo exportar? Claro, claro, estamos muy interesados. Nuestra gente está muy preocupado por el precio que está muy bajo. Y entonces estamos muy interesados de conseguir un mercado que sea mejor. So I hope that it's clear from that video, just from the introduction, that these folks are motivated. These are motivated farmers. 
Um, I think that it's also clear that they need a lot of support and education. So as they um, were working with this small lot this last year and they picked well, then they realized that they had to figure out how to pay their pickers better, right? Or, or, or incentivize picking mature beans over just picking by quantity. So they had only paid a certain way in the past and they realized that they had to fix that if they were gonna get a different product. Um, then they realized that there was this information that they needed to keep track of with the coffee, you know, variety, altitude, the farmer, day it was picked, things like this. They hadn't, been, they hadn't had this experience before of having to keep track of information about small lots of coffee. Um, once they, that coffee was at the mill, they had, to keep, they had to figure out how to keep it separate at the mill and, and keep the information with each lot. So there's a lot of things that they're realizing um, they're gonna have to learn how to do and they're gonna have to get better at if they want to, um, to continue in this and grow their volume. So those are some of the things that, that I know about that they've had to change and learn. And um, I wanna keep in this vein of having their voice here and having them um, explain their own situation. And so here's another clip of them. Muchas veces nos vemos obligados a abandonar nuestro café. Y el precio cuando vendemos, no hay, no hay buen precio. Francisco says that many times they have to abandon their farms. When they do sell their coffee, it's for a bad price. But they are still fighting. Pero estamos luchando. Lo que queremos pues es ver qué, en qué cosas más podemos mejorar. Teresa says they want to know what they need to do to improve. If there are buyers who watch this video, she wants them to tell her what kind of coffee they are looking for and what, what work they need to do to get there. Sí, este, nosotros lo que Polo nos necesita y, o lo que nos cuesta es el mercado, cuesta, pero nosotros estamos dispuestos para cambiar muchas cosas, pues, cuestión desde el campo para hacer el café, por lo menos que sea, que sale un buen producto, y cuestión del beneficio, y tal como el café especial, pues nosotros nos gustaría ser más volumen. Francisco says that what they need is a market for their coffees. They produced only a small amount of specialty coffee this year, but it's a start. They have questions around how to grow the right type of coffee and how to process it. Manuel says the community is happy to keep working with coffee and looks forward to a better future. So that was Teresa, Francisco, Horacio, and Manuel explaining to you their hopes for the future explaining to you a little bit about their motivation, what motivates them, and explaining to you some of the support and education that they know that they're gonna need to continue to succeed in coffee production. Um, so I would like to ask two things of the audience. We're gonna make pledges tomorrow 
Um, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about it today. And I would like you guys to do two things. One is to think about this issue of profitability in these terms. Think about information and not just price. And think about what we in this room, some of the most experienced and successful people in the specialty coffee industry have that we can share with producers. These farmers don't know anything about specialty, but they want to know. They want to know what it means. They want to know how to assess it. They want to know how they can produce it. They want to know what varieties they need to plant. They want to know how they need to manage their fields and their post-harvest management of their coffee. That's information that we have that we can share with them. So that's number one, to think about the information issue. And number two is to make a pledge to share information over this next year with somebody who hasn't had it. You'll notice people that have this extra motivation and you'll notice them trying. And look at that situation and see what you can do and what you can add in the form of support or education to help that person do something more with themselves. I have personal experience with this. I know that it works. Thank you. That was Taya Brown at Rico Symposium this past April. Remember to check out our show notes to find a link to the YouTube video of this talk, a full episode transcript, and a link to speaker bios on the Rico website. Rico Symposium and the Specialty Coffee Expo are coming to Portland in April 2020. Don't miss the forthcoming early bird ticket release. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements. This has been an episode of the RICO podcast brought to you by members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by Toddy.